0: We're in a series talking about the greater things that God wants to do in our life and the greater things that God wants to do through our life. That No matter what your experience of God is, and I've been saying this every week, but no matter what your experience of God is, whether you have been a Christian for a long time, or you're maybe just interested in Christianity, or you're just starting out your journey of faith, wherever you are, there's always more that God wants to do. There's always greater things. You've never reached the peak. There's some things in life that you can master. There's some subjects that you can say, I know this, I get this, and I'm good. But with God, there is always more. There's always more to experience of God. There's always more to uh, know of who God is, always more areas of our life where we can allow God to work more in us and more areas of our life where God says, I can work through you. It's not the end. You haven't reached the cap of what I want you to know of me and what I want you to experience of me in your life. So there's always greater things. And we've been taking these weeks, it'll be a total of eight weeks when we are done. And and we've been exploring what does that look like? What does that mean? How do we access that? What are some of those greater things that God has in store for us and desires for us? And, And this week, probably someone in your life was struggling. This week, probably someone in your life needed help in some way maybe suffering in some way or uh, maybe wrestling in some way emotionally or spiritually, probably, whether that was a serious kind of sit-down conversation or maybe it was just a casual kind of statement that was made, probably, for most of us, someone in your life shared something with you that was hard, that was difficult, that was challenging for them, or maybe you just observed something. Maybe they didn't share it, but you saw things in their life, and you said, man, this looks like this is hard for them, or maybe it's not so much on the suffering side. Maybe you saw things in someone's life this week, and you said, man, I see areas in their life where they're going astray, where they're making choices to disobey God. Probably, for most of us, Again, whether serious sit-down or casual, there's someone in our life, maybe a friend, a spouse, our kids, coworker, co-worker, someone in community group, where we saw the difficulty, the sin, the suffering, the struggling in their life. That could be loneliness that people are experiencing. It could be anxiety. It could be difficulty with choices that they're trying to make. It could be difficulty in their marriage or with their kids. It could be... Again, kind of temptations that people are struggling with and they know what's the right thing to do but struggle to do it or areas that they don't know are even the right thing to do and we want to be good friends. We want to be good friends in people's lives. Or if you're thinking about marriage or your kids, we want to be good parents. We want to be good spouses. We, we want to be able to offer some sort of help because people are sharing things with us or we are observing things all the time and we want people to experience change, right? I mean, if there's people in your life that are struggling in some way or sinning in some way, you want them to be able to experience change the same way that we want to be able to experience change. Change And what if we really could help each other? What if when things are shared with us or when we observe things, we really could help? We're not, maybe not all of us here, maybe some of you are, but we're not all professional counselors or we're not all uh, pastors, we're not all experts in various things, but what if we really could help our friends, our kids, our spouses, our coworkers, our family when, when things are shared or when things are Observed? What if we could be used by God to be a part of the greater things that He wants to do in their life? What if we could help move people towards that? How do we help? That's what we're going to be looking at today. How can we help? each other? How can we help one another? How can we be a community where when things are shared and things are observed, we really can help one another in the, in the culture of our lives? Not just on a Sunday that you hear about greater things that God wants to do, but how can we be a community that really helps one another receive and become the things that God desires for us? And the key passage that we're going to look at is in the book of Hebrews. And, and here's what it is. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll kind of look at this. And we'll look at one other section in Hebrews later as well. But this will be the main part. It says this, "'Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception.'" For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, and this is a quote from the Old Testament. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion when the people of Israel rebelled against God. This is our first question. What is the goal in helping one another we're we're saying what if we really could help when things are shared or when things are observed but what's the goal of it what why help what, what is the goal of helping one another and and he gives us the author of hebrews gives us this phrase here and he says Watch out so that there isn't an unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. There's a danger presented. When when you start a sentence with, watch out, that means there's a potential danger. There's a potential danger that you might miss. And he says, watch out that an unbelieving heart doesn't develop in you. Watch out that an unbelieving heart is not found. In you, And what does that mean? If we have a heart that isn't believing, what that, will, what that will do is that we will miss out on what's true. An unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God means that there's truth. There is something true about who God is, but we, if we're not careful, if we don't watch out, we might end up living as if it's not true. And what came to my mind is a couple illustrations with this. For some of you, maybe you've seen the movie Hook. It's one of the best movies ever made, probably. That might be debatable. Maybe there's, you know, Gone with the Wind or whatever, stupid black and white movies. But uh, there's, I'm just kidding. I, I, I like all sorts of film. But Hook is great. And if you've ever seen the movie Hook, if you haven't seen it, it can be your homework. This can be your sermon application. It's a really easy one, okay? You can watch Hook. But what happens in Hook is Peter Pan grows up and he's old and he's fat is what the kids uh, you know insult him of being and he's lazy and he works a business job and he, he he's just kind of what peter pan never would have been right and the kids have to remind him he's forgotten that he was peter pan which means he can't fly it means that he doesn't uh, you know he lives in just kind of a stuffy life he has no sense of adventure he's kind of rude and mean to his kids there's all these things that have taken place in his life that he is living in a way that's not actually who he really is. He's forgotten and he is, be- he is unbelieving of who he is and what reality actually is. And so the, what do they called? The, the lost boys. It's their job to kind of talk to him and help him see, don't you remember who you are? And they're trying to wake him up to the reality because he's living in a false reality. He has an unbelieving heart, which means he misses out on truth. I mean, what if you could fly and you forgot that? That would be awful. What if there was a real enemy, Captain Hook, or for our purposes, the world, the flesh, the devil, and we forgot that? He has an unbelieving heart, or I don't know if, I think I've shared this story at some point in the past, but I don't know if you've ever heard this, but in in World War II, in kind of the, the jungles in Japan, there was a soldier that for decades for decades thought that the war was still going on he had heard the news that the war was over and he thought it was propaganda and so he continued the fight and so for decades and decades there was a soldier that believed the war was still happening japan was still at war and he would kill people and he would do and he was hiding out in the jungles living as if it was wartime and he was living with an unbelieving heart which means he was missing out on peace. He was missing out on the calm that exists after wartime. He was missing out on not having to live as a soldier fighting for his life and eating in the jungles and sleeping in the jungles. He was missing out because he was living with an unbelieving heart. Peter says that the goal of helping one another is that we wouldn't have an unbelieving heart with God. Because if we have an unbelieving heart, which means that we don't know who God is, we don't trust who God is, we forget who God is. God says that he loves us and we start to doubt. God says he forgives us and we start to not believe. And, and maybe we believe up here, but not experientially. And God says that he is faithful. God says that he is a God of comfort. God says that he is good. God says that he is that he is in control of our world and we live with an unbelieving heart, which means we miss out. I mean, how sad would it be if there's these glorious truths, but our heart actually is living in a false reality? He says the goal is that our hearts wouldn't be unbelieving because an unbelieving heart, if you start to doubt who God is and what God's done, then what, what the author of Hebrews says is that we turn away from God. We think, I don't need him because we don't really believe who he is or what he's done. We think, I don't need him. We think, I don't want him or we just forget him in general. He says, the goal of helping one another is to help a heart that is unbelieving because what God wants for us or if we want to state the goal positively is to fully experience and participate in the salvation that we have in Christ. He says he doesn't want us to live with an unbelieving heart for we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly till the end, the reality that we had at the start. It means there's a reality, that's the truth, as opposed to the unbelief, there is a reality that God has brought you into if you're a Christian. There are things that you have participated in with Christ if you're a Christian. That in Christ, and, and if you remember from the first week, for those of you that were here, we talked about all the things that are true of us in Christ, that we've been forgiven, that we've been redeemed, that's set free from the bondage of sin and death, that we've been raised with Christ, which is that we have been give, given new resurrection life, that we had died with Christ, which means our sins have been forgiven and put to death, that we have been adopted in Christ, into the family of God. There's all these beautiful truths that are true of us because we have participated in Christ. That's what is true. That is the reality that he wants us to live in and experience. One author, uh, pastor, his name is Tim Chester, and he's kind of broken down four truths about God, and, and um, they're, in some sense, a little reductionistic. They're not the only truths about God, but I think they're a helpful picture of what the Bible says is true about God, about th- what is true for us in God. And he calls them the four Gs, and one is that God is good. God wants us to live in the reality that he's good. There's so many temptations and so many things that often we walk away from God because we believe this is good and I've got to pursue good. But what if we believe there's a God that is good and wants your good? Do you believe that God wants your good, that he is voraciously fighting and working all things for your good? If we believe that, and it's easier to obey. If we believe that, we trust him even when things aren't going the way that we want them to go. But if we have an unbelieving heart, we don't think that we have a good God, we start to fight for it on our own. We try to pursue our life and what's good for us on our own. That God is good, that God is great, meaning that he's in control. Doesn't so much of our stress and our anxiety in our lack of peace come from wanting to control things in a certain way and yet fearful that it won't work out? But what if we knew that God is great in the sense that he is above all things and over all things and he's the one truly in control? That we participate in Christ. We know we have a God who is in control even over the worst that's ever happened on this earth, the death of God himself in Jesus. We have a God that's good. We have a God that's great. We have a God that's glorious, which means we don't have to fear other people's acceptance, but we have a God that has fully accepted us in Christ as we've participated in Christ. We have a God that has accepted us. So we don't have to be so worried about what other people think about us, and we don't have to be afraid, and we can be bold and We don't have to always wonder how we're coming across because we have a God who is glorious and and in his glory, he's accepted us and approved of us in Christ. And we have a God who is gracious, which means we don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to work off our debt. We don't have to fight hard for an identity that's based on what we do because we have a God who in his grace has said you're defined by what I do. And if you have participated in Christ, that's true. You see, the goal in helping one another is that we don't develop an unbelieving heart and not live in the light of all those truths. If all those things are true, that God is good, glorious, gracious, great, and much more, if all that's true, how sad is it if we don't know that we can fly? How sad is it if we don't live with what's true of us and of him. So the goal of what God wants is for us to know and share in all that he is, to live in that belief. But here, here's another question that's important from this text. Why do we need help? And I could have italicized this. Why do we need help from others? Because we may confess, we may assent to the fact that yes, I, I want that goal. I want to live in the reality of all that God is. If, if God is saying all this... I don't want to live as if that's not true. I don't want to live as if I've got to fight to, to, to figure everything out on my own because it's just me or I've got to prove myself or I've got to get approval because I need it from somewhere or I've got to, find, I've got to fight for my own good because no one else is. I, I've got to do that. We, we don't want that. We might believe that. We might understand that that's a goal, but why do we need help from others to get that? Why do we need help from others? Because what The author of Hebrews could have said is, I don't want you to have an unbelieving heart. I want you to participate in all that Christ has done for you. So, read your Bible. So, pray. So, make sure you're growing and learning and experience. Make sure you podcast. Make sure you read a book. Make sure you read some good blogs. He could have said that. But what he says is this, I don't want you to have an unbelieving heart. I want you to participate in all that Christ has done for you, so you need others. Here's what he says. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that you don't have this unbelieving heart, but encourage each other. So there's this watch out, there's a danger of the unbelieving heart that can develop, and because of that, Instead, that's what the but means, instead of falling into an unbelieving heart, instead, encourage each other. That's the antidote. That's the solution. The solution isn't watch out, therefore, pay careful attention, read your Bible, pray, be on guard. The solution is but encourage each other. That's the solution. He says that we need others. Why? Why is it that we need help from others? And here's what he says. So that none of you is hardened by sins. This is the key word, deception. See, one of the truths about sin is that it has a property of self-deceit. Sin is deceitful. Much of the problems in our life come, much of the sins, and I don't mean problems as in suffering that's happened to you and things like that, I'm not, I'm not saying that, but much of the problems in our life when we have an unbelieving heart, when we mistrust God, when we're stressed out because we don't believe that God's in control, when we're fighting to get good in our life because we don't believe that God is good, much of the sin, much of the problems in our life come because we're deceived we tell ourselves, ah, this isn't really true for me. My situation is different. We convince ourselves. We, we believe that we are the exception to things. We come up with excuses. We Google proof of our position that we want to believe. Does the Bible really say this? Or doesn't the Bible actually say this? And, and find ways To live in a false reality, we are deceived by ourselves. By ourselves, we miss it. We need help from others because, listen, and I know this is an uncomfortable truth, but by ourselves, we don't know what we're like. By ourselves, we believe things that are deceived. And and that's an important word, deceived, because it means that it's maybe kind of true but not fully true it's not necessarily an outright lie but it is that we are picking a thread of truth and missing the whole. we have blind spots by ourselves you know in a car there are blind spots and you need mirrors multiple mirrors and some mirrors have even an extra mirror that show you where the blind spots are Because you can't see everything by yourself. You can't see everything by yourself. Many of us maybe have had some time in our life when someone said, hey, do you know that you have something in your teeth? Or do you know that your fly's down? Or you know you have this in your hair? And we needed someone else to point that out to us. Because we couldn't see it on our own. Have have you ever listened to your voice on a recording? And you go, oh, what the... I don't sound like that, do I? And everyone around you is like, yeah, that's what you sound like. I I take that laughter as that's, that's true, right? Because we don't know what we even, listen, you don't even know what you sound like. You sound so much worse than what you sound like. You have no idea. You don't even know what you look like. Because when you look in the mirror, that's a reverse you. That's not the real you. That's, a, fate. that's a, a That's a. this is us you, if you've seen that move. That's not even the real you. That's a flipped version of you. That's a backwards you. We don't even know what we look like. We don't even know what we sound like. We need other people in our life to say, here's what's going on. Because apart from that, we are deceived. Have, listen, haven't you, ever, haven't you ever convinced yourself that something was good? and all the other people around you were like, this isn't good, this isn't good, and then maybe a year later or maybe three months later, you're like, ah, oh, why didn't anyone tell me that? Well, how did I end up here? And everyone's like, ah, oh, we tried to tell you you shouldn't have taken that job or that wasn't a good person or that wasn't the best choice. or We tried to say that, but you didn't really listen. See, we need the help from others because the author says, by ourselves, we're deceived ourselves, we are deceived. And what that does is harden us so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. When we are deceived, the result is that we are hardened. What hardened means is that the truths of who God is, the truths of what God's done for us, the belief The truths of what it means to live in that reality, to participate in that reality, it means those truths can't get into us. That there's a wall, there's a hardened wall. When we deceive ourselves, we are building up defenses, which means it becomes harder and harder to listen to God. It becomes easier and easier not to believe. It becomes easier and easier to not believe that God is good, to not believe that God is in control, that, to not believe that, that God approves of you and has affection for you, to not believe that you don't have to uh, prove yourself, but that God has forgiven you and given you grace and removed your shame. It becomes harder and harder to believe that and to actually live in that reality. It becomes easier and easier when we deceive ourselves because we become harder and harder. Disobedience to God, unbelief of God has momentum. It means that the more that we shut out the voice of others and sin and don't believe and think we don't need anyone else, the more that we do that, the easier it gets. It's a ball rolling down a hill, which is why We need the voice of others. We need the help from others because on our own, we don't see it fully. On our own, we don't fully grasp it. We don't fully get it. We miss it. And listen, God doesn't wanna leave us to ourselves. God loves us, God loves you, God loves me, God loves our church too much to leave us alone. You, if you have a good, if you have a, a casual acquaintance, just to go back to one analogy real quick, if you have a casual acquaintance and they see something in your nose or something in, in your teeth, they might not say anything. But your spouse is gonna say something because they love you and they're not afraid to say, hey, you've got something hanging out your nose and you're about to go into a meeting, you look like a weirdo. They're, they're not afraid to say that. A casual acquaintance might be like, I I don't know, okay, have a good meeting, right? God loves us too much. God loves us too much, more than a spouse, more than a best friend. God loves us too much to let us miss out on what's true, to let us live in a false reality. He wants our hearts to be permeable, to be soft, to allow who he is to affect us. This is why we need help from others. So next question is, how do we do this? How do we help one another then? How do we help one another? And, and originally I had a, a section in here on how we receive help from each other. But I'm, I'm not going to focus on that today. I mean, there's a whole uh, stuff I could go into on how to be the kind of person that can receive help. But really, today, we're just talking about being the kind of people that can help each other. So how is it that we help one another? And, and he, he gives us this word later, skipping ahead to chapter 10, but really covering the same idea. It says, let us consider one another In order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. I love that sort of like call out as some are not going to mention any names, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching this word, consider. How do we help? One another? How do we be the kind of people with our spouse, with our kids, with our friends, as a church and our community group? How do we be the kind of people that help each other move towards the greater things that God has in store for us? And this is an important word. Let us consider. And that word, consider, is a word that means thoughtful, intentional, deep thought planning. It's not a word that just means hey, just if if you see something and if you think about it and if something comes up and if someone's begging you, hey, could you please give me some advice? That's not what it means. It is a word that puts intentional, deep responsibility on the person considering, which means this. You are not only responsible for your spiritual growth. You are not only responsible for you experiencing the greater things in life that God has. You are responsible for the people that God has put around you. Let us consider. Let us have deep, intentional thought for one another. And we think about this word consider, I think we can think about a couple angles of this. I think we need to have a heart of consideration. If we are considering another person, if we're considering another person, that means we're not thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about them. A lot of times in our relationships, we are thinking about ourselves. And even sometimes we think, ah, I don't wanna say something. I don't wanna mess something up. I don't know what to say, but really we're thinking about us. We're thinking, I don't wanna come across stupid. I don't wanna come across offensive. I don't want to come across eh, rude. I don't know if I have that. Maybe it's just even more uh, efficient than that. I don't have the time for that. I've got other things to worry about. But to consider gives, it's centering us in a heart that is not wanting ease, but is caring about another person. It's caring about another person and it's loving them. If you do what that verse says to consider one another in order to provoke to love and good works, that is a heart that says, I care about you. I love you. And I have an agenda. I know that's kind of a bad word. We think, oh, you have an agenda, don't you? And yes, all of us should have an agenda to consider one another in order. That's an agenda. You have an agenda in order to provoke to love and good works. We love people. We care for people. We want good for people. We have an agenda for people to experience God's goals. And when it says love and good works, it's saying, man, you are looking at another person in your life and saying, I want God's goals for that person to come about. I want God's change for that person to come about. Listen, the whole premise of this series is that God can do greater things. And I I want you to think about that for yourself. I want you to want more of God. I want you to think, okay, what am I missing out on with God? What, What can I believe more about God? But if we keep that focused on us, we're missing so much of what God is saying. Because God is saying, I want you to consider the greater things I want to do in their life. I want you to consider the greater things, the love, the good works that I want to do for them. And not just keep it self-centered. That's not how God has been to us. For those of you that are parents, you're not, you're not selfish. I mean, I'm not, obviously we're not perfect people as parents. But I mean, you have desires for your kids. You want greater things for them. And most parents would even say, I want more for them than I had. I want more for them. God is saying, listen, I want you not to just focus on you. I want you to consider. I want you to have an agenda. I want you to want the love and good works that I want to do in their life. That we have hearts of consideration where we want God's goals in their life. What does God say? That he wants for them. What does God want to do in them? What does God want to do through them? And that we are making plans for that. Some of you are not planners. That's fine. And some of you are hyper planners, and that's good and godly. And some of you, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, 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 some of, but no matter where we are on sort of the planning spectrum, all of us make plans for something. We all make plans for something. I, I know someone that has made plans of all the TV shows that they want to watch, right? So that, that might be your plan. You, maybe you don't plan for your finances, you don't plan for your career, your education, but you make plans for sports, or you make plans for vacation, you make plans for food. All of us make plans for something. And that word, let us consider, is saying that God is calling us to have a heart that so deeply loves other people and so desires what God wants to do in their life that we make plans for them. We actually make plans for them. That we think about them and we consider, how can I stir them up, or the word here, provoke them to love and good works. And that the word that it uses to provoke To love and good works, let us consider how to provoke to love and good works. That word, most of the time, most of the time that word is used in a negative context because it means to irritate or to annoy or to frustrate. It's using it here in a positive context, but most of the time in the Bible when it's used, it's used in a way to say, these people are annoying, this is irritating, this is frustrating. And so in some sense, it's trying to get us in a frame of mind that says, what annoys you? What frustrates you? What Sometimes we use this language. What pushes your buttons that you finally then give in or you finally have some response to? There's things in all of our life that we don't like that are annoying, frustrating, irritating. When I go to a hotel, I hate all the lights. Whoever designed hotels, I I guess they probably don't sleep there because I shut off the lights and lay down in bed and then the microwave has a glowing light on it. So I put some socks over it or something and get back in bed. And then the, the alarm clock has a light. So I put my underwear over that and the TV has a light. So I put a jacket over that and then there's light coming out the windows and there's the fire alarm has a light. So I smash that with a hammer. It's just all these lights and they irritate me. They annoy me. They provoke me not to love and good works, but to anger and frustration. He is saying this. Think about what irritates you and frustrates you and how that pushes your buttons and there's a response then that comes out. Maybe it's an annoying sibling that you've had in the past. And then when you were little, they knew exactly how to poke your buttons. Or I was thinking about this even on the drive over. For those of you that are Office fans, think about Jim. And he's always doing these pranks on Dwight. And if you have no idea what this is, that's fine. I only watched The Office like two years ago and I n- didn't watch it before. And there's always, always all these references and inside jokes and people laughing and you're on the outside. And, and so then I needed to watch it so I could be on the inside and then believe it God approves to me and I don't have to get people's acceptance. So anyways, okay. But Jim is always poking these buttons on Dwight with all these pranks. This is, what God, this is what God is saying for us. Instead of provoking and pushing buttons towards anger or frustration, or what if we tried to become people that said, I'm gonna intentionally consider and make plans to provoke people to love and good works. I'm gonna love someone deep enough that I'm gonna know their life and care about, how can I help them, push them to love and good works? It also means that we have ears of consideration, hearts of consideration and ears of consideration, or just to listen with consideration. In order to know how to provoke someone with love and good works, in order to consider someone, we have to listen to them, right? We can't just make our guesses and say, I think I'll push this button, We have to to listen. We have to know what's going on in their life, which means being present with people and asking good questions that are beyond just the surface, but trying to understand how life is going and understand how their hearts are doing and understand their world between them and God. So we need to actually ask questions and listen with consideration. I think a great question for us is do you know someone, and think about that just in the context of a conversation or someone sharing something with you, do you know someone and love someone well enough to pray for them deeply? And when I say deeply, I mean that you're not just praying about the surface things in their life. I, you know, hey, can you pray for my job? It's going kind of hard. But you know what's going on in the heart. You know what those areas of unbelief might be. You know where maybe they're tempted not to believe that God is good or that God is in control or that God loves them and accepts them or or whatever it might be. You know someone well enough to pray for them deeply. When people are sharing things with you, if you were to leave that moment and pray for them, would your prayer just be, God, help them? God, be with them. That's fine, but that means maybe we haven't listened with consideration. Maybe we don't know the areas of unbelief that they might be leaning towards. And so we must have hearts of consideration, which is really just saying, I'm deeply for them, and I'm, I'm willing to invest in even making plans to push them toward what God has for them. And we have Years of consideration, which means we're seeking to get deeper, to know really what's going on, closer to the heart. And then finally, we speak with consideration. This, this is kind of putting both of these passages together because both of them say, encourage each other. Provoke love and good works, encourage each other. Unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, encourage each other. That is that we speak into people's lives, that we actually use our words. And again, sometimes we think that's not my place. I don't wanna say anything. I don't wanna offend anyone. I don't wanna step on anyone's toes, but love is never silent. That is so important. We, we looked at this in Proverbs, if you were here uh, during the summer, where Proverbs says that open rebuke is better than hidden love which equates a rebuke or encouragement or exhortation with love. Because a lot of times we say, oh yes, of course I love that person, but we're hiding it if we don't speak. Love is never silent. Now obviously, 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 and I guess, I mean, I just want to make sure you understand, it doesn't mean that we yell at people, that we're harsh with people, that we're rude to people. It doesn't mean any of that. But it means that we consider deeply. We listen Deeply, and then we speak to people. We encourage them towards belief, as we have a heart that's for them, and as we as we have listened to them, we speak words to help their belief. That we encourage with truths of who God is. The speaking is not simply stop doing that. The speaking is, don't you see who God is? Your heart is unbelieving. Don't you see that God is good? Don't you see that God is gracious? Don't you see who God, we're speaking to help bolster belief. How do we help one another? We consider the other person with our hearts, with our ears, and with our words. Listen, God loves us so deeply. God loves you so deeply. He loves the people in our life so deeply that he wants us to have attentive, considerate care. People that actually see and and don't just give broad truth, but say, I know what's going on here and I want to help your heart. God wants to apply who he is specifically to each of us. And final question is this, when do we help one another? When do we do this? Sometimes we might think, okay, maybe for big giant stuff that's exploding in my life, then maybe I need someone's help. Maybe if there's these major decisions and giant things happening, then I'll ask my community group or my friends. Or maybe if when there's huge things going on in my kid's life or my spouse's life, then I'll say something. But over and over and over again, what's repeated is a habitual daily interaction. Encourage each other daily, today, if you hear his voice. Not neglecting to gather together, which is the regular time here and in homes. All the more, which means you're encouraging each other, but do it even more. It is impressing upon us that this is a culture. The when of when we help one another is not simply in giant situations, it is daily. Why? because we have issues daily, because we're tempted to unbelieve daily, because our hearts forget God daily. And God wants to give us a daily interaction. Here's what that also means. If it's daily when we help one another, you know what that means? And I've already said this, but I just wanna impress it again. If it's daily interaction, you know what that means? It's not just supposed to be for professionals. It's not just supposed to be for pastors. It's not just supposed to be for mentors. Some of us say, okay, yeah, I know I need help. I need to get a counselor. Maybe. I know I need help. I need to meet with a pastor. Maybe. I know I need help in my life. I really wish I had a mentor. Maybe. But you know what God wants even more for us than experts? He wants community. He wants daily interaction where people really see the unbelief and the drift, and the deceit, and the hardening. And he wants us, listen, this is how God is so good. He wants us to live in a culture where we are daily reminded of who he is. God doesn't want a single day to go by where you forget how good he is to you. God doesn't want a single day to go by where you forget the participation in Christ that is ours. He never wants us to forget that. He never wants us to drift away every day. I tell my kids every day I love them. I don't wait weeks and then say, oh, just in case you forgot, I want you to know as you go to bed, I love you, have a good night. Every day. I tell my wife every day. I don't, I don't wait 10 years and say, hey, you know, it's true what I said on our wedding day. That's still true. I'm, not, I'm never going to leave you and I, I love you. I'll, I'll remind you again in 10 years. And that's not what it is every day, and God wants us to live every day remembering who he is, what he's done, and the participation that we have in him because we struggle every day. We need his help every day. We're suffering every day. We're tempted every day. So here's what this means. You and I are both needy and needed You and I are extremely needy. We can't do it by ourselves. And each of us in this room, if you're a Christian, if the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, you are needed. You matter to the people in this room experiencing the greater things that God wants to do in their lives. Without you, this is, I mean, I hope you embrace this. Without you, people will miss out on the life that God has for them. Without you, people will miss out on the greater things that God wants to do. And without others, we will miss out on what God wants to do. Without others having the access in our life to speak, we will miss out. So here's how we apply this, a couple things. Are you seeking this out? I know that's not mainly what this sermon has been about is is having people speak to you, but are you seeking this out? Are you asking people to speak to you like this? Are you giving people permission? Are you wanting that? Are you desirous of that? Are you asking people, would you please do this for me? This is a great week to do that. You can say, Caleb talked about this today and I want that. Would you give that to me? Are you seeking this out? And then for those of us that the main thrust of this sermon is we just talk about how to help one another. Maybe there's someone that you're thinking about right now. Is there someone that you need to speak to? Don't delay. Today. Today, if you hear his voice. Encourage each other today. Daily. All the more. Is there someone you need to talk with? And then even just bigger than that, how can we grow how can you grow in regularly making this a part of your life? I'll preach on this again sometime. I don't know. Maybe it'll be a year. Maybe it'll be six months. I don't know. But how can, how can you not wait until that time? How, how can you make this a regular part of your life? A good way is in community groups, and then we have smaller groups within those, life transformation groups, LTGs. That's a, that's a good way to make this a rhythmic part of your life. All of us want help. All of us want to be able to help. And this is how. God loves us too much to go alone. And and the reason for that, the reason that God calls us to this and wants us to experience this was in the beginning of that verse. And it's what we remember when we take communion. We're going to take communion just a minute here. If you didn't grab it, make sure you grab some uh, at the entrance. But what What the author said is God doesn't want us to fall away from him. He wants us to live in the participation that he has given to us. See, God wants you to be near him. He sent his son to this earth that Jesus came to this world. He died on a cross to forgive us our sin, to give us life with him through the resurrection, that he indwells us with his spirit, that we get to participate with him. He doesn't want us to fall away from that. He wants us to experience that. And you know what? Part of why we take communion every week, it's not every day, but is because we need him. We need to remember that participation all the time. His body broken for me. His blood shed for me. I need it again. I don't want to fall away. I want to believe again. I want to remember again. When we take communion, that's what we remember. That's what we receive. That's what we participate in again. We have a God that loves us, he wants more for us, and he invites us to be a part of that in each other's lives. So let's pray and take communion. You can use this time for the next minute or so to take communion and also to take a next step. Maybe it's to get into a community group. Maybe it's to serve, to give, to be a part of a community that is seeking to be created here. You can go to our next step page. Maybe your next step today is just to come to our uh, meet up after this and Learn more about what what it is that we desire for you and what we want you to experience here. I would encourage you, take this time, take communion, take a next step. Also, I'll be in the back if anyone would like prayer. If you'd like prayer for healing or anything else going on in your life, we want to ask God to work in your life. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love and that you desire for us to always remember who you are and what you've done. Help us even as we take communion and respond in song to have the truth of who you are more deeply rooted in our heart, the participation that we have in you more deeply rooted in our hearts. In your name, Jesus.